Welcome to episode 240 of the Spokesman Cycling Podcast. This show was published on Tuesday, 10th of March, 2020. The Spokesman Cycling Roundtable Podcast is brought to you by Jensen USA, where you'll always find a great selection of products at amazing prices with unparalleled customer service. For more information, just go to jensenusa.com slash the spokesman. Hey everybody, it's David from the Fredcast Cycling Podcast at www.thefredcast.com. I'm one of the hosts and producers of the Spokesman Cycling Roundtable Podcast. For show notes, links, and all sorts of other information, please visit our website at www.the-spokesmen.com. And now, here are the spokesmen. Hi there, I'm Carlton Reed, and on today's show... I've got some audio I recorded a little while ago with Tori Fahey, one of the co-founders of bikepacking bag maker Apidura. Want to know what Apidura means? You'll find out soon. But first, here's a shout out to our show supporters, Jensen USA and Sports Suds. Check out the commercial break for my co-host David and his rundown of why Jensen USA is the bee's knees and hang around for a giveaway and discount code for the specialist athletic gear detergent, Sports Suds. I've done a previous show with the founder of Restrap Bikepacking Bags and my son has waxed lyrical about his use of Arkle Bikepacking Bags. But on today's show, I talk with Tori of Apidura. She and her partner founded the company after competing in the Tour Divide and identifying a need for race-specific bikepacking equipment. Folks like my mate, psychologist Ian Walker, who ride across Europe fast and need robust but lightweight bags. As you'll hear, Apidura also has a strong moral compass. Here's my chat with Tori. You are Canadian, I'm guessing, here from your educational background. That's right. Yep. Born and raised in in Calgary, Canada, Um, but I've lived in London for the last six years. So we'll get on to to, to why you're in London. But first of all, I'd like to ask about the company name. So uh, Apidura, I can kind of get the Dura from Durable and the Appy is from Bees because of your logo. Um, so Latin for, for bees, apries, all that kind of stuff. So why bees? Um, well, good work to, to break it down. Uh, that's exactly right. Uh, why bees? Um, the, the real story, well, the, the real story is that when I first got into club racing, uh, I had some issues of anxiety and would dress like a bee, uh, to overcome that. So the, the bee has a special place in my heart because it brings back uh, some memories of my uh, early cycling career. Um, but it's also a very nice symbol for cyclists because they are light, they travel fast and far, um, they have a social aspect to them, but they they can also be very independent and interdependent at the same time. Uh, so for me, it was um, there's a very natural connection between bees and cycling. And uh, yeah, Durablis, uh, in the same way as the endurance cyclists travel uh, long distances and last a long time, we build gear to hopefully do the same. Okay, so you talked there about your early racing career. So what, what was that early racing career and, and when... Um, so, uh, 
I, I want to be, uh, I, I don't want to make it sound uh, like I was a hardcore racer, but um, uh, when I first got into cycling, which was really as an adult, as a uh, first as a commuter and as a, it was really a utility uh, thing at the start, um, but that grew into uh, club racing, um, cyclocross and mountain biking predominantly. Uh, and I guess this was about 20 years ago um, that I really got into it and then got more into touring and traveling by bike uh, in the last uh, 10 to 15 years. So that was in Canada. So you, you, you became a cyclist in Canada. Yep, that's right. There's a really vibrant community uh, in Canada. I suppose all around the world there are uh, vibrant um, communities of cyclists, uh, but I feel like uh, Calgary is particularly unique because perhaps because of the harsh climate um, people find ways to enjoy bikes uh, and come together despite the harsh conditions. Now, looking at your LinkedIn profile, uh, and this is where I found out that you, you're con- obviously Canadian because of your, your um, university background. Well, I was guessing anyway. Uh, and, and looking at, you, you've got a finance background and you're a very, very eminent finance background. So tell me a bit about um, that. Uh, sure. I guess, uh, it, I, I was always fairly good with, um, numbers and science and through, uh, university, this eventually, um, guided me fairly practically into the, the world of economics and finance. Um, Calgary is really an oil and gas town. Uh, so there's a, a bit of a limited range of different career options you look at, um, when you come out of university and that was something that fit well with my interest and skill set. Um, I spent about 10 years working in Calgary uh, after leaving university um, and enjoyed that. Uh, it was a really interesting time to be working in the sector. Um, but I also had other interests that um, bubbled up and uh, kind of took over. So it's it's an important part of my life, but it was also something that um, only represented a subset of my interests. But clearly, it, it's going to benefit you massively running a business. I think there are definitely some insights that I get out of that. Um, within the finance world uh, in Calgary, I was working for a startup um, and that was working with other startups. So I think that uh, gave me a bit of insight in terms of what I might want to do and what I might not want to do um, in starting another business. Um, it's a very, I was working in a very different sector. So, uh, there were a lot of new things to learn in my current, um, position, but, uh, I, I think it's, it was probably a, a window into an exciting world of, uh, learning and trying new things and gaining the confidence to be able to learn as I go and find a path that wasn't necessarily taken before, uh, really when starting a business is, about that, the finance side of it, uh, I, it certainly helps. Um, it's not easy to um, build a business in this in this uh, sport uh, or in the outdoor industry. Uh, so having a good sense for numbers and making sure that uh, you don't fall into a big trap uh, probably helps. Yeah. So I'm looking at, again at your LinkedIn profile here, and and the Kern Partners thing. Uh, where it says here on your profile that it, it, it was a startup and then it became 
Canada's second largest energy sector private equity fund. So energy sector, because of Calgary, which you said is is oil and gas place. Uh, so you're a specialist in the finance in your kind of your geographical area. That's where it came from. Yep, no, that's right. Well, uh, it, it, it's a it's a strange one because we were really looking at uh, businesses before they started. So it was really around people and understanding um, ideas and the chemistry uh, to to make a business. It's uh, I, I think from an outside perspective, it's easy to look at energy sector uh, and uh, think of big oil companies, but that's not what we were working with. We were working with uh, typically engineers and geologists and understanding the ideas they had uh, to to take a business forward. And I think uh, honestly, that's the the biggest thing I took away. Um, from that experience, uh, it was less about finance and it was more about uh, uh, creating a team and understanding the the different skill sets and ideas that need to come together to make something work. Oh, and where did cycling fit into that, if at all? Was, was that a time when you discovered cycling and you used it as part of the business, like the, 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 the cliche, the cycling is the new golf kind of thing, or were the worlds completely separate? Uh, cycling for me was a way to counterbalance, um, a very intense life, uh, professional lifestyle. Um, I, I was working a lot, uh, and, um, traveling a bit and I needed something to, uh, unwind and to regain some balance physically and mentally. So really cycling at the, at the start was commuting and then, uh, getting back in shape, uh, and bringing some joy and balance back into my life. Um, so it, it was a separate thing, but really uh, an essential part of being a whole person. Okay, and then you 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 left that, and then you you then started doing an MBA, and then you you got into doing well other other educational stuff. So what was the thinking there? Um, yeah, it's not a, a particularly straight line, but actually, uh, so I left Canada in two thousand nine to pursue an MBA. Um, that partly came about with, uh, out of a desire to travel the world by bike. Um, but my thought in, uh, before approaching that was that, uh, it would be good to learn a second language, <laughs> uh, before, uh, traveling the world. Um, although I was born and raised in Canada, I, I was raised in Western Canada, which meant French wasn't a particular priority. Uh, so I hadn't retained as much as I should have, um, had an idea to move to France and uh, learn the language uh, in the process of thinking about how I would do that. Um, came across an MBA school based in France uh, and it, that also had a, a campus in Singapore. Uh, and it just seemed like a, a great opportunity where I could continue to learn, um, be in a setting where I could meet other people uh, and I could work on my language skills as well before setting off uh, on a grand adventure. Which is 2011. I can I can see the countries you've been to. Many of the countries I've also cycled in. Um, so that that that's pretty cool. So Jan 2011 on the LinkedIn profile it says, um, and then talk me through those trips because that they're not all in one go. I'm presuming they they are over a number of years. Yep. Uh, so uh, some life circumstances presented an opportunity to pursue something that had interested me for a while, which was to cycle the length of Africa. Um, I was completely fascinated by the idea of doing a 12,000 kilometer 
ride. Uh, and it was the right moment in my life to do it. So I, I spent the first five months of the year riding from Alexandria, Egypt to Cape Point, South Africa. It was amazing. Uh, I loved it. Uh, and I just wanted to keep going. Um, by the end of something like that, it's really difficult to reintegrate into um, uh, an urban setting uh, and to sleep in a bed. Uh, so uh, mm -hmm. it, at that moment, the tour divide was right around the corner. And I decided it was a really good moment. I was in great shape and had a desire to keep going. So uh, I, I got ready for the tour divide, which is actually where um, the the story of Apadura starts. Um, but the tour divide was, uh, it's a, an off-road race from Banff, Canada to the border of Mexico, 4,200 kilometers uh, along the continental divide. It's 80% off-road and has the vertical equivalent of Eversting six times. Um, so a very different experience uh, and something that uh, started to bring what had previously been two worlds together, then those two worlds being um, my recreational cycling world and my travel and bike touring world. Um, suddenly I could enjoy the, the regular cycling experience, um, but also travel places and see new people uh, and places by bike uh, in a very comfortable and joyful way. Um, I, I continued to go back to school. Uh, I pursued another, um, degree in public policy, which was also something that interested me. Uh, and, and following that, my other cycling experiences include crossing Europe, um, in a self-supported way. Uh, I've been through Central Asia, uh, from Pakistan, Western China and Kyrgyzstan, uh, and then also uh, the Caucasus and Iran uh, did a, actually our honeymoon was in the Caucasus in Iran, which was fantastic. Um, so uh, it, it's, I, I guess I'm an all or none person. Uh, so I like to go on tour for a while and then come back and try some other things and then go out again and uh, reset. You mentioned getting married there. I'd like to talk about that in a second because that sounds pretty cute. But go backwards first of all because I want to see the progression on 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 lightweight um, bike packing gear. So that Africa trip, what what bags were you using for that trip? That was a that was still a lightweight. You were going pretty fast on that trip, the Africa trip. Actually, Africa was a supported trip, um, and I think that's one of the reasons why the tour divide fascinated me so much. Uh, because when I, I was traveling with others in Africa uh, and bags were not a consideration uh, that has its luxuries, but it also has uh, some drawbacks. And I think there's a certain sense of achievement that you have to understand that you have, you, you're fully responsible for uh, going from A to B, but also having the flexibility to choose your pace um, and choose your direction. Right. So Africa, you basically had uh, a vehicle with you taking your bags. You, so you weren't really thinking about bags there at all. No, nope. uh, it, it, a very different experience in that way. Uh, not, think, not thinking about bags, not thinking about navigation, mm. um, uh, just thinking about riding hard. Mm. So it was a race. So, so <laughs> when you did the Tour Divide, what bags were you taking then? This is now self-supported. Um, so I, at that moment, basically uh, going into the Tour Divide, I, I had done a fair bit of uh, bike touring prior to that um, uh, in Patagonia and Western Europe, Northern Canada. 
uh, I had done enough bike touring to know that a conventional setup was not going to work for me. Um, uh, I needed a different bike, something that was better suited for off-road. Uh, I needed something lighter so I could travel farther and faster each day. Uh, on some parts of the divide, there are some very long sections between uh, services. So uh, it's either you're going to carry a huge amount of stuff or you need to be able to travel fast uh, so that you can get to your next uh, service point um, uh, appropriately. And I chose the faster and farther route. Um, I was lucky enough to uh, I have, a, have a friend based in Calgary uh, who had gotten me into bikepacking effectively, um, who helped connect me with uh, some used gear. I also cobbled together a few things myself. Um, so it was a, a bit of a patchwork of used and partly assembled gear. Uh, but it was a sufficient leap from my prior experience uh, with rack and panniers that it was clear to me that there was this was a a revelation and um, the direction the the future direction for any travel that I would do by bike uh, and it was what sparked uh, an idea after that that maybe you could bring in more modern production technologies and materials to to bring the quality of rackless bags up to the same level that we expect from our bikes if you think about how much time you spend uh, looking at the details on your bike, what stem, um, what spokes to use. You should spend at least that amount of time on the rest of the details on your bike, including your bags, and that you should go beyond what you can do on your home sewing machine uh, and think about what other materials uh, and production technologies could make that even better and take the experience even further. Because when I when I post photographs, and I'm a historian, so when I post photographs of 1880s cyclists, they're not using rack and pannier bags. They're using bike packing bags, in effect, rolled up rolls yeah. on their handlebars. So this you know, people think of this as a, a very modern thing, but bike packing is in effect older than if we want to call it cycle touring, the rack and pannier thing. So it, you know, the rolling up stuff and strapping it to your bike is very very old. Yeah, it, it's not a new idea uh, by any means. I think what is different, I guess there are a few things at work. Um, uh, rack and panniers, um, probably for the last 40 years, uh, once that came out and worked for people, the industry got a bit sleepy and people just settled into that being how you carried stuff on a bike. And they forgot that you could do it in a, a more basic and simple way, a more basic, simple and flexible way. Um, and unfortunately it also led to, I think an idea that you needed a special bike for touring, um, which is really unfortunate. I think touring can work for a lot of people with a bike that they have and might be an even more like more enjoyable experience than going out and, um, buying a different bike. Uh, yeah. The, so the, the industry got a bit sleepy and now, uh, I, I think it's much more interesting because there, there are uh, bringing modern production techniques and modern materials to some old ideas about how to carry uh, has made a big difference. Also, uh, some development in terms of uh, bicycles and the type of uh, more versatile bikes that you can get, adventure bikes and gravel bikes with better clearance, um, uh, 
uh, capable of slightly wider tires. Um, and uh, the, the whole adventure and gravel movement has also made the idea of rackless carry more interesting and appealing for a broader range of people. Indeed. So the idea for Abidura came during the Tour Divide when you were, you were cobbling together all of these, you know, these bags and you just thought, well, we could do it this way. Is that, is that where it came on, on that, that, that Tour Divide? Yep. And even then, the idea was not about, oh, let's make a business to do this. The idea was about trying to get um, better gear than I had, uh, take it a step further, uh, be able to ride with some friends. But inevitably, you you start to go down a road and you learn a few things and you get more ideas and you learn a few more things. Uh, and it was really a, a two and a half year process of um, exploring different ideas, riding, uh, testing different ideas, and, um, and, and, and until in 2014, we opened our doors. So who's we? Uh, so the business is owned and operated by me and my husband. What's your husband called? Um, <laughs> my, my husband's name is Pierre. Tell me about your honeymoon then. And, and so you were touring together. Yeah, uh, for our honeymoon, we went to Iran. We took a, about a one-way flight to uh, Baku in Azerbaijan, uh, rode westward toward Georgia uh, and Abkhazia, and then south through Georgia and spent another two months in Iran. Slightly unconventional uh, idea of a honeymoon, but uh, it worked really well for us and it was also a good moment. This was in 2015, so um, it was a good moment to and do some really close-up product testing. <laughs> yeah, product testing on your honeymoon, okay. Now, so that was that was while the company's already been going. So the, you got married and the company's been going for a year at this point? Uh, effectively, yeah, a year and a half. I mean, there was a, when you say going, uh, that means uh, open for business. Uh, really, there were a couple of years of work that went into it before opening. Um, by 2015, though, we had our first uh, full-time employee. So we were very lucky to that our first full-time employee uh, was exceptionally competent and helpful. Uh, so he he basically kept things going while we went from one internet point to another and checked in with the business um, while we were out. So t- tell us about the growth, but tell us about the progression of the business since since uh, foundation uh, through your honeymoon and, and to today. Sure, it's interesting that one of the first words that you said there was growth. Um, because it's a, a word that gets used a lot, uh, when talking about, uh, how a business develops or how a brand develops. Uh, and I think we do things a little bit differently, largely because of how this came about in the first place, that it wasn't about, um, making a business, uh, or making a job for ourselves. Um, it was about a need, um, to, 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 that we had as, as riders, um, so the progression of the business effectively, uh, at the start, it was just my husband and I, um, uh, working within the resources we had, bringing in some outside resources from time to time to help us unlock, uh, uh, a few doors or to, to understand new spaces better. Um, we hired our first full-time employee in 2015, um, and have slowly built 
um, the team and transition from a company that uh, basically transition from making stuff to a company that makes stuff, uh, which is a, uh, a big transformation for a small team like ours. We're a team of 15 now. Um, uh, a third of that is strictly focused on product. Uh, and we, we have a full sample room. We do rapid prototyping, uh, how we, it, we are constantly working on new ideas and testing different ways that we can do the things that we do better. Um, another third is around, uh, service and community. Uh, and then the rest of us just make, uh, f- fill in the rest of the gaps, which are a lot. Um, we've, uh, the team has grown by necessity, uh, and also by interest, the more things we do, the more things we discover, um, the more resources we need. Um, but I think we're finally at a spot where uh, we're capable to uh, pursue just about any idea that we have um, in a way that is exciting uh, and we feel we have the, the knowledge uh, to do it. Um, how, we've, how the rest of the business has developed, like the, the product range, um, other things that we do as a business, like um, our community involvement, uh, the content that we create, these have all, uh, how we've thought about this is less about um, growing the business uh, or developing the business and more about what is our role? Why are we here? What can we add to the community? Um, we think about what we do as something beyond a physical product. We think about what we do as uh, th- that we're members of the community effectively. What do we want as riders? Um, beyond a physical product. It takes much more than a physical product to make something accessible or fun. Uh, you need a whole infrastructure uh, and ecosystem to make that work. And that means um, creating knowledge, creating and sharing knowledge, storytelling and inspiration, and creating the environment around the physical products that we develop um, to really help each of us get more out of the experience. Um, that's a very long uh, path around to your question, but um, is that what you're looking for? Oh, well, that's totally up to you. You've got to tell me exactly how you, you're doing it from your point of view. Uh, so advertising, are you, how are you getting out to people? How are you telling people that uh, Apigure exists? Um, that's a good question. Again, this is something that we have a, a slightly unconventional approach to. Uh, we don't do conventional advertising um, because this isn't about building an empire. This isn't about um, uh, having to grow uh, a certain amount each year or uh, be a certain size. Uh, so for us, how to reach people, we would rather build a community um, and support community organizers like TCR or Transatlantic Way or the Adventure Syndicate. Um we'd rather put what resources we do have into community building like that rather than giving it to Facebook or Google and trying to push impulse buying. So advertising, I mean, I would have said originally it would have been, well, you know, print advertising, but you're just saying you don't even do Facebook or Google driving traffic that way. You're driving traffic by in effect, being out there in the rider community. Yes, because I think uh, I, we try to take our, bu- our business decisions in the same way that we would want uh, other businesses to do as consumers. So my view on advertising is that the world is extremely noisy. 
and I don't want to be another brand filling that uh, space, whether it's on the internet or in a magazine. I see enough advertisements and, and I don't care for it as a consumer. Um, but I do care about uh, when I'm thinking about buying something, I do care about what my neighbor says uh, or someone I, I trust. Uh, word of mouth is essential for us, so which means that we have to have a very good product to back it up. Um, but ultimately, that's going to help us sell to the people who are going to use our product. Uh, and it's going to make sure that people are making purchase decisions for the right reason, not because they saw an advertisement or read something. They are buying it because they know what they're getting into. Uh, and this is something that is going to improve their experience. For us, uh, because we're not growth-driven or uh, uh, allowing those sorts of quantitative targets to guide our decisions, um, we, we're not pursuing an impulse purchase. Uh, we have no interest to um, convince someone to buy our product only to have it sit and collect dust on a shelf. There's enough crap in the world. Um, we are about building quality uh, gear to help people do the things that they love. Uh, and there are enough people out there who share our values and our mindset um, that we we can make it work. Uh, so we're content with that uh, and not looking to, to take all of the pie for the sake of it uh, or to, um, to try to, to push product on people who, who don't need it. And then you use ambassadors so so people who are using your product anyway but doing it uh, at the extreme level and the fastest level so people who are pretty good at riding bikes it, well uh, true um the it, what's interesting about our ambassador group is one that it's not it, most of them came in as customers first uh and we have seen in them um qualities that fit well with what we are trying to promote. Uh, part of that is um, performance oriented. Of course, it's nice to see the, the boundaries of human achievement, but it's not only about that. Uh, I don't, I don't, racing is not for everyone. Um, I don't think that that's the only thing that matters. Um, we also support riders who are uh, community building and riders who are exploring other frontiers such as um maybe it's new spaces or new uh, new places to ride, new ways uh, to bring other people into the sport. Uh, the Adventure Syndicate is a good example of this. Uh, that's uh, Although Jenny and Lee, who run the organization, are very high-caliber athletes, uh, they are really community-building and bringing uh, young women into the sport and opening their eyes uh, to the possibilities and the empowerment that you get from riding a bike. So of course people can go to apodura.com and can see your stuff, but just describe your range. So let, let's have the oral treatment of, 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 of you, you selling your <laughs> range. What, what or your elevator pitch? If you're, if you're in dragon's den or whatever, trying to, to raise investment, if indeed you ever were, because you don't need to, uh, cause that growth thing. Um, just tell me about the, the products. Um, Sure. So you're correct that I, I don't really have an elevator pitch because we have not raised external capital. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's not something that I, uh, we spend a lot of time doing to, to sell the business in this way um, or sell uh, what we do in this way. Uh, our product range is exceptionally focused. Uh, when we think about introducing a new product, 
it needs to meet a number of criteria, not just being an exceptional product. It needs to add value in some way um, to the bikepacking or carry community. Uh, we've got three ranges, uh, three core ranges. Uh, backcountry, which is effectively um, our original uh, lineup, uh, but it has evolved over the last four years. Um, it, it's targeted predominantly at off-road cycling um, and and more recreational riding. Um, the Expedition Series, which is a welded uh, product, we were actually the first uh, brand to introduce a fully welded, fully waterproof bikepacking system. Um, we showed it first at, at Eurobike in 2015, but uh, released it in early 2016. Uh, that's basically for anyone doing long distances, all weather, um, any conditions uh, sort of riding. Um, people who need extra capacity, who might be crossing a continent or going for any sort of extended trip. Uh, and we have a racing series, which is targeted at faster rides, uh, Audax uh, as well. But people who are traveling in a compact way where every gram matters um, and don't need the additional capacity, um, but just want, uh, they, they still need to carry something, but in a very light and streamlined way. Um, we do have a few other products, including we did a, a, a collaboration with Rafa back in 2016. Those are sold out now, um, but we've done a few uh, other products outside of those core ranges, but th those are our main products. Does it? pique your interest or annoy you when people are mixing and matching between brands or do you think that's absolutely what people should be doing so they should have an aperture of this and they should have another brand for this so what's your thinking there you know uh, uh, i should probably be bothered by it but what i i think it's just good if people get out uh and when people mix and match uh it's actually a learning opportunity for us because we can see where we may not be meeting their needs um precisely And it gives us uh, a reason to think about whether there's room for improvement uh, on the products that we make uh, or whether we can think differently about a new product to better suit the needs of the market. Uh, so uh, at the end of the day, whether, whether someone's using our gear, uh, someone else's gear, or a mix of the two, uh, it, I think the best thing is that they're just getting out and riding and enjoying the, their bike in this way. I'm going to break in here for a wee bit of a commercial break. First with my co-host David, and then I've got an offer for those of you with an American or Canadian mailing address. Hey, Carlton, thanks so much. And it's, it's always my pleasure to talk about our advertiser. This is a long-time loyal advertiser. You all know who I'm talking about. It's Jensen USA at jensenusa.com slash the spokesman. I've been telling you for years now, years that Jensen is the place where you can get a great selection of every kind of product that you need for your cycling lifestyle at amazing prices. And what really sets them apart, because of course there's lots of online retailers out there, but what really sets them apart is their unbelievable support. When you call and you've got a question about something, you'll end up talking to one of their gear advisors. And these are cyclists. I've been there. I've seen it. These are folks who, who ride their bikes to and from work. These are folks who ride at lunch, who go out on group rides after work because they just enjoy cycling so much. Uh, and, and so you know that when you call, you'll be talking to somebody who has knowledge of the products that you're calling about. If you're looking for a new bike, whether it's a mountain bike, a road bike, a gravel bike, a fat bike, what are you looking for? Go ahead and check them out. 
Jensen USA, they are the place where you will find everything you need for your cycling lifestyle. It's jensenusa.com slash the spokesman. We thank them so much for their support, and we thank you for supporting Jensen USA. All right, Carlton, let's get back to the show. Thanks, David. And here's that offer I was talking about. One lucky listener will get sent a 500 gram zipper pouch of sports suds detergent and one sports suds washing machine cleaner. All those who enter the competition will also get a 25% off voucher for spending on sportsuds.com, which delivers to the US and Canada only. So you'll need an address in one of those fine countries. To enter, go to the show notes for this episode of the Spokesman podcast. It's show number 240 and fill in the form. Sportsuds, for those of you who don't know, is a specialist detergent for athletic gear like Cyclobber, including merino base layers. Normal everyday detergents are designed to leave things in your clothes after washing. Things like fabric softeners anti-static additives, optical brightness and fragrance. All of these leave residues, which bacteria clings to, feeds on, quickly causing a stink. What you need instead is a detergent free of abrasives and harmful chemicals that removes all of this gunk. When your cycle kit smells like flowers or like an ocean breeze... That's a fragrance residue that may actually inhibit the fabric's performance and cause the fabric to stink more than it ought to. For your chance of grabbing some sports suds or definitely getting a 25% off voucher, go to the-spokesmen.com. Let's get back to the show and Tori Fahi of Apidura. We assemble in China. Um, we produce, uh, or well, we do all our, of our design prototyping and testing, uh, out of London and then with ambassadors worldwide. Uh, and we source materials globally. Basically our approach, um, on the manufacturing side was that quality was essential. There, there was no question that quality had to be there. This was something you relied on in the wilderness. It was something that uh, needed to meet the same standard as you had with the rest of your cycling equipment. And in the two and a half years that we spent um, working on our initial designs and thinking about production, we realized that there were really four things to focus on uh, to meet the quality standard that we needed. The, the first was materials. You can't have a good product if you don't put good materials in there. Uh, Another was machines and technology, making sure you had the right uh, equipment and environment to, to produce to a high standard with the, the high quality materials you have. Um, people in process, having very skilled people and the right processes in place um, to, to make sure that there were checks and um, uh, the, the right system in place uh, to, to ensure quality. And then design. Uh, so we chose where could we add the most value, and it was definitely on the design side. We could bring in insights as a user uh, and uh, inform the design that way, and then work with uh, very, very carefully selected partners to fill in the rest and to support to build around the design effectively. So on the materials side, uh, we source around the world, as I said, uh, because 
it's very it's almost impossible to find everything that you need in a single place if you are truly committed to having the highest quality um it, through the full supply chain uh assembly um for us we wanted to be able to bring in uh different production technologies and leverage some of the work that has been done over the last decades in other sports uh in man- in mountaineering in luggage uh and that meant going to a an assembly center uh where there were there there was access to different equipment and the, we had the ability to um move around as new technologies become available and also the ability to integrate different types of uh technology uh and also people uh, experience matters um for us china was a good choice because there's a very deep um labor pool of very experienced and skilled uh machinists both uh, in stitching welding uh, uh and other technologies uh and there's also the process in place so we spend a lot of time there um but uh we also communicate with them regularly when we are not there in person and china's also somewhere you can cycle it is um i haven't done cycling in western china or in eastern china yet but i have cycled in western china and i was watching your son's videos um <laughs> on his on his route back from uh the giant factory so uh he'll have some good stories to tell from that experience it's changing fast that's for sure yeah well we're kind of glad he's out of china now to tell the truth because of what's happening in in hong kong and stuff and he's now in yeah. at, uh, at kazakhstan and he's on, on the, uh, he's heading towards the the the, the pamir highway is that have you done that one before I haven't done the Pamirs. Uh, when I was in the general region, um, I rode the Karakoram Highway uh, up through northern mm-hmm. Pakistan uh, and into western China. So, uh, But uh, Pamirs is definitely on the list of things to do. Uh, it looks unbelievable. It does seem to be one of those um, highways that an awful lot of, of touring cyclists head for. It's like on the bucket list, isn't it? Yes, I think it's exceptionally challenging, but the sort of place that really um, lets you think about what it's about. It's not the sort of place that you can put your head down and go for speed. It's a a place for reflection and uh, understanding all of uh, like why you're there um, and what there is in the experience beyond beyond the bike. I hope uh, yeah. Josh's rack holds up. Uh, on the roads out there <laughs> <laughs> i i am slightly worried because when i toured i i did do old school so i did have racks and bags but this is in the 1980s um and he's going absolutely the the bike packing route but he's going incredibly light um way too light i think uh especially for where he's going now um where you you, you almost need to to carry spares or almost everything on the bike because it's uh as potential breakages so we are worried now that he is doing that particular route. But there's just an awful lot of information on the web now. So you can actually, you can almost do a, a Google zoom through of the route. Um, so that, that you know, when I was doing my, my cycle touring, there was none of that. You were, you were literally going out there and not doing it for the first time, but there wasn't much information out there for cycle tourists back then. Whereas now people have been doing this and there's all the photographs and the videos and you can access a lot. So you can, you can experience a lot of this before you actually get out there on your bike. Yes. I I think it's uh, 
uh, like enormously easier now than uh, it was even 10 years ago, but certainly uh, 20, 30 years ago when you didn't have um, as much information and like really up to date and to the day and also to see cyclists, other cyclists out there. I think there are more actual resources along the road. At the same time, I think uh, there's also another thing that makes it easier, a bit easier now is a mindset and a realization that you don't actually, you may not be able to find a, a fancy bike shop uh, in rural Kazakhstan, but you will find people who are happy to help. Uh, and and if you're open to it and and willing to connect with people, and you're also open to uh, thinking about how your own bike works uh, and what can work, there's a lot of ways you can get by. A, a good example of this is even from earlier on in your son's trip um, when his North Face bag uh, fell apart. Actually, you can make it work. Uh, you you just need mm. to be a bit inventive, um, wrap a few things around, uh, and uh, it's not it's perhaps not the setup that you would set out with, but there's always a way um, being willing uh, to to think creatively and being open to um, what's in front of you they you can always find a way. What's also cute from a, a parent's point of view is being able to talk to him. So when I I did two years away, and my parents would have got a postcard if they were lucky, and they might have got like twice a year a phone call. Now we feel incredibly um, out of it if we don't hear from our son and actually physically see him on a on a Skype type call, a FaceTime call, like every two to three days. Yeah. So he is somewhere incredibly exotic. Yet at the same time, when he gets a Wi-Fi connection, we can talk to him. So again, that is that is so different from when I was touring and and how interconnected the world is and how small the world is, even though he's, you know, uh, three months away of, of hard pedaling. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I wonder what gets lost in the experience as well, though, if you never quite feel lost or far from home. I, I as, as a parent, I can certainly relate to um, how it might feel to not hear from your child for a period of time. Um, but I think there's also some kind of beautiful experience from really disconnecting. And it's, if you can't do that in the Gobi desert, then uh, there are very few places where you can do that now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, we also feel part of his trip a lot more. I think that's part. So yes. when he comes back, it won't be a case of, oh, tell us about that time you went to that temple. And we'll look at this photograph. It's like, oh, we saw the video. <laughs> so we were kind of, almost semi-living it so that, that's that's a good experience for us that he's able to 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 share that stuff for sure I, and I, it is nice uh especially on something like this that could be transformational or uh really have a profound impact on your life to be able to share that experience um even if you are going alone uh to later be able to share those experiences and have someone understand uh, at least uh, at a at a high level, what you've been through um, is really nice. It's even better if you can ride together, but uh, this is the next best thing. Well, that's where he got his bikepacking genes from, in that we've done uh, quite a few trips together from from a very, very early age. So I'm very proud of what he's doing because it's a little bit of his mini-me because, <laughs> you know, that's what I did at his age. 
And I, I think that is so cool in a very, very sad way. I think it's cool that my my 21, 20-year-old son is is doing something that I was doing at his age on a bike. And I, I feel very proud that I've kind of made somebody who is out there doing the same things that I love. That's awesome. That's awesome. But it's sad at the, at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me about your your next trips. What have you got? plan so forget about the, the the journey for your company what have you got journeys for for, for you personally but on a bike I'm at a slightly different point in my life today than I was in 2015 when we spent a few months in Iran uh, following that we had two children so I have a one and a half year old and a three-year-old um, which means uh, we are emerging from this uh, slightly closer to home um, mindset and starting to think about adventures with a family which have as you, as you know from your own experience, uh, you have to consider things in a very different way. You're not just thinking about yourself. Um, we've actually been doing a bit of work with Apigero on this uh, and thinking about fam- uh, traveling with family and what are the different considerations to be able to share experiences um, mm. uh, when you have to consider others uh, in the experience. Uh, we are still working on... Uh, adventures outside of the UK, but for the moment, uh, it's really things that are close to home. Uh, and we're just starting to get back on the bike with the little ones. So the kind of the Josie Dew kind of approach would be just take them with you and you have a trailer on the back, you've got a burly trailer or whatever, and they just come with you and you can go, you can still do incredibly exotic trips. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I think you need to think about exotic in a different way. Um, mm. at different ages, uh, but it doesn't mean you can't do anything. Uh, I, again, like uh, we are incredibly fortunate. There are uh, a huge range of bikes and other equipment that make this very accessible uh, and, and information, frankly, uh, which also helps bridge the gap between something that might be a dream uh, and feel uh, reserved for others or another time uh, and make it really accessible and executable regardless of your circumstances. But without revealing too much, there potentially is some Apidura kid stuff coming along or family, cycling with family stuff? Uh, in the physical and digital sense, yes. Okay. Talk about the company, where that's going. And even though I said, let's not talk about that, let's talk about that. So where, where is the company going? Is it a company? Are you, are you like a limited company? How is it set up? Or are you a... Uh, yeah, absolutely. We're we're a registered limited company, um, as you as you do in the UK, uh, and with a real team. As I mentioned, we've got a, a team of fifteen, um, and we're all thinking about the future and where we're going. Uh, as I mentioned previously, we have a slightly different mindset in terms of how we think about our goals and the future. It tends to be a bit more qualitative, uh, so we, we're. Some companies may think about uh, revenue growth uh, or or growth in general. Um, for us, growth is a consequence of doing something well, um, and it can afford you opportunities that you may not have when you're smaller, but in and of itself is not a goal. We look at where we're going in very qualitative ways. Um, we're looking for where can we apply um, our knowledge and expertise in ways that help people uh, experience the world on a bike. Um, what 
what me what needs are not being met by uh, other producers in the industry, and what can we do to to improve the state of play for bikepacking or for for anyone um, who loves riding a bike and needs to carry something effectively. Um, it, it, that all sounds a bit vague, but um, I also need to to um, protect some of the ideas that we have uh, in the pipeline. Uh, what I can tell you is that uh, we we are undertaking a lot of product development um, across the spectrum uh, of cycling uh, from backcountry and thinking about uh, moving our backcountry forward to uh to audax uh and people who are out on the road uh and other types of riders uh in metropolitan areas who may have carry needs mm. that are not being well met by uh as well met by our current products as they could be so a commuter line potentially yes <laughs> okay that that would that would absolutely be natural to, to have that kind of stuff that's, that's i i think it's insane when you when you can stand on the any street corner in any metropolitan area and watch cyclists go by with a rack and panniers uh one uh, like a pannier on one side stuffed full or flapping open um sticking out into the road uh or a heavy backpack there's completely a better way uh mm. and so i think there's a huge amount of room for improvement in this area and it's it's something we know well as cyclists and uh, producers of carry equipment thanks to tori farhi of apadura there thanks also to jensen usa and sports suds for supporting the spokesman podcast and thanks to you for listening to episode 240 of the show go to the spokesmen.com for the 239 previous episodes and to fill in the sports ads form and make sure to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast catcher for all future episodes the next show will be an extremely long one featuring interviews with palestinian bicycle advocates and a cyclist who rode his bike through Israel and the West Bank to research a stonking great new book. That show will be out in a week or so. Meanwhile, get out there and ride. <laughs>